James. Hey, Duncan. How are you, dude? I'm well, thank you. Happy 2020. Happy 2020. It's been like a month or longer since we've had a chat. Longer. Um, yeah. Yeah. Been a busy January somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, back to wait, but why? Um, we're up to chapter six, which is called The American Brain. Um, if you haven't read it, would recommend reading it before uh, listening to this, uh, although you don't have to. Um, sort of one thing that I've come to think is quite interesting is that I classify things in two areas. Facts. Um, so today is Thursday. Idea how to spend Thursday well. Fact. A coffee costs you know $4 or whatever it is. How to make a good coffee. And so for ideas, there is no right or wrong. And I didn't used to think this. I used to think that there is a right and a wrong. Um, so, for instance, I think it's a fact that the climate is warming. Idea what to do about it. There isn't a right thing to do about it. There's many possible ideas, but there isn't like this is definitely right or that's definitely wrong. And so this is really interesting. So for myself, I've been like, ah, oh, okay. For most things that are worth discussing, that you know there is no right or wrong. So you should basically be looking to constantly update your thoughts. And so a quote I like about this, you get to choose your opinions or thoughts on what ideas are. You don't get to choose your facts. And so you need to push back on certain people. So I just think it's irrefutable the world is warming. Mm, mm. Okay, so a lot to unpack there. So back to your initial, I guess, mental model, there's two ways that you can, um, I guess, categorize things, facts and ideas. Uh, and I, I just wanted to kind of like point out that I don't think that I have appreciated this particular lens of the world um, for a very long part of my life. And that, what I mean by that, it took me a very long time to appreciate that we can address, well, we can come at things very differently depending on whether it's a fact, such as your example of today is Thursday, or an idea. <laughs> and I think I'd probably still do it today if I'm not being very much mindful of the, uh, you know, how I'm addressing a particular problem that I'm trying to solve. But I, I definitely think that uh, I agree with you, Duncan. There's no right or wrong when it comes to ideas. Um, but I thought maybe you could think of them as maybe good or bad. Now, that this obviously brings up the conundrum of how do you rate an idea that's good or bad. But I think there's a, at least a spectrum, spectrum upon which you could probably think to yourself, how do I spend Thursday uh, sitting on the couch and eating Pop-Tarts? Could constitute possibly as a bad idea. Yeah, um, so I think it's interesting, like, what does it mean to live a good life? Mm. Um, I don't think there is one view. Um, honestly, like, Duncan's, my view today is, is wildly different to what I thought it was 15 years ago. Um, and so, sort of, this is interesting. I'm not trying to, I think I used to be trying to pick a view on, like, okay, here's what we should do for climate change. And then we should uh, defend that. Now, instead of trying to find what is right, quote-unquote, now I'm trying to figure out how to update my current view for that idea and also find out where it stops working. So everything works somewhere, nothing works everywhere. An idea in the right place, in the right way, it probably you know helps. But that same idea in the wrong place, in the wrong way, doesn't help. And so it's a totally different mindset. I used to, whatever, 20-year-old Duncan thought that there was a right and a wrong and for everything. And that, you know... Basically, if you were admitting you were wrong, it was tantamount to saying you were stupid. <laughs> and so that was certainly not something that I was happy or wanting to do publicly. But now, mm. it's not about being stupid or smart. It's about hopefully constantly improving your ability to understand different ideas in the world. Yeah. So I, I think we've touched on this before in previous discussions. But for me, a really big aha moment was uh, understanding that your ideas are not necessarily tied to your identity. <laughs> and so without having to put yourself out there and have this, uh, I guess, this fear that people will judge you based on the idea that you present, for me, expressing an idea, I feel like gives it an opportunity to see if it actually can hold its own weight in the world. And that's why I now feel like, you know, to your point, Duncan, it's a, uh, it, it's a, it's a good way or it's helpful to see ideas as something that you can just use to test your understanding of the world and use it to update your thinking. Mm. To get into the world of the practical, like an idea might be like, should a country have capital punishment, i.e. a reason to kill someone? And 200 years ago, there were sort of 200 reasons in the UK someone was killed. Um, but now in most developed countries, the US being sort of the major exception, there are no reasons that someone's killed for, you know, killed for, for, for committing a crime. 
So it's gone from lots of reasons to no reason. Mm. And so that's been a giant shift. So that's kind of an idea. The idea is how do we help you know, in, you know disincentivize bad behavior? Well, if there's no penalty at all, then people will probably do stuff because they're just like, oh, I can get away with it. But if the penalty is too severe, then that might actually be an overreaction. Um, so, for instance, should we be able to rehabilitate murderers? Um, society, I think, says yes. And I kind of like that idea. Um, so I think that, you know, if I look back on 20-year-old Duncan, there are some things that 35-year-old Duncan would be like, don't do that. Um, and I would hope that I've learned since then um, and that, you know, that some things I basically think are silly ideas and that I'm not somehow judged by every act that I have ever done in the past. I'm judged by who I am today. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, I think that the idea of what to do about, say, murder ha- has shifted. We don't kill someone for killing someone, an eye for an eye, and the world is blind. Mm. Maybe that'll shift in the future. But this is a really interesting thing. Okay, what is an idea? What to do for someone committing a crime? How has that shifted? Mm. Well, lucky for Duncan, you didn't have Facebook or uh, social media when you were <laughs> <laughs> 10 to 20 years old. That's true, actually. Uh, I'm yeah, and I I think that's quite lucky uh, in in that regard. But I I, I you know to, to take an example of like capital punishment, um, you know, in terms of how do we approach this as an idea, and it's it's it's, de- it's definitely something that fits in very well with this particular chapter of Way But Why uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Tin Urban's use of the Overton window, uh, and so we can probably describe it a little bit about what that actually means, but. You know, there there was a time not long ago where capital punishment was actually seen as widely acceptable, actually actively encouraged. Mm. But over time, because new ideas come into, uh, you know, the the, uh, the the wider public or into the mainstream, I should say, and they start to hold their own, uh, uh, like you know, they stand up on their own. And one of them, I think, Duncan, is your idea about you know, can we rehabilitate murderers, like? That probably mm. wasn't even addressed not too long ago in the past. But now that people do believe that, the concept of capital punishment starts to lose um, you know, its prominence. So I think um, seeing how as a society we can shift and we can evolve by the ever-inclusion of new ideas, both good and bad. And I guess the way I'll define good and bad are the bad ones are the ones that don't hang around because they get tested and they don't work out. The good ones are the ones that stand true and still hold out for this day, irrespective of whether they get superseded uh, in the future. Yeah. Um, I really like this sort of idea um, that, you know, you're not born and, and you, you're just decided, like, you know, I don't, I'm not really a determinist, <laughs> or that one act doesn't define you for the rest of your life and you can never change. I like the concept that people can change and grow. I hope mm. every day I'm looking to grow. Um so I thought I'd just roll that one more continuum or one more idea. And then Tim, um, the writer of Wait But Why, often puts these things on continuums. So one end to the other. Um, and so he's got one here, which is abortion laws. So one end is erection should be illegal, masturbation should be illegal, contraception should be illegal, abortion should be illegal from the moment of conception, abortion should be illegal from the moment of conception in the cases of rape, abortion should be legal until the end of the first trimester. Abortion should be legal until the fetus is theoretically able to survive outside the womb. Abortion should be legal until birth. You should be able to kill babies until they turn one. You should be able to kill anyone you want. (laughs) Um, So so, so this is a sort of continuum. And that's a really nice way of doing things. So I like, okay, well, here's an idea. Now, let's just try to put things from sort of one end to the other. It's, It's an oversimplification, but it's really useful. Mm. And so this is great. Like, I don't think that there is a right or a wrong on, on that continuum, as an example. Yeah. I think everyone is entitled to their view. Um, and I think that my thoughts on this have shifted. And basically, I expect my thoughts on all ideas to change. In fact, I'm actually trying to change them. This is a key difference. In the past, I was trying to not change them. I was like, pick your view. Now, defend um whereas now <laughs> for, for ideas i'm like i want them to change so having no values i.e not a view on abortion doesn't make sense but having a view on abortion that never changes ever under any circumstances also doesn't make sense mm. so hmm. trying to update them where appropriate is difficult but i think is basically what we should be doing mm. um I, I completely agree and i think the like his use of the abortion laws uh, was actually a very smart choice because um, unlike other particular issues 
such as gay rights, um, you know, racism, which could more or less be argued as, um, you know, something that you can have defined as its own, um, you know, area of consideration. Abortion, you can find sympathy for both ends of the spectrum. So there doesn't necessarily have any kind of, uh, you know, pulled from one end to the other. Because if I don't, uh, if I don't watch my thinking, my mind will invariably try to go to one of the extremes, such as you should be able to kill anything, anyone you want, and say that's wrong. And so I stop myself and think, oh, hold on, there, brain. Like, <laughs> you might not like that idea, but what you know, what part of you gets to say that that's actually factually uh, incorrect or that's a that's a wrong idea? And so I try to turn it around and say, all right, well, first let's start off with it's a bad idea. Why do I think it's a bad idea? Well, I think it's a bad idea because if we lived like that in society, we would never be able to really progress as a society because there would be uh, everyone living at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy instead of uh, being able to find ways that they could transcend themselves. So (laughs) this is a really, really good way of looking at if this is an idea, then instead of there just being one... um, one version of it. There's an entire spectrum that you could see yourself sitting along. Yeah. Um, so, again, I don't know. I think you're taught at school there's a right and a wrong. You get 100% yeah. on the exam. <laughs> um, and so I wasn't, I don't believe, and perhaps if I was, I, I was, I missed it, taught to try to think that I should be trying to update my view on ideas, e.g. what should we do about capital punishment? What sh- what's the appropriate response to climate change? What's the appropriate response? You know, what's the appropriate you know, way to think about abortion laws? I was kind of like, there's a right and a wrong picket. Um, and I think this is partially out of the past tribalism. Um, whatever your tribe does, you believe. <laughs> and you, 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 know, you back your tribe, um, else you die. <laughs> and I think that in a zero-sum world, if you, the bigger your tribe, you know, actually the better the outcome. But in a positive sum world, which has happened post the Industrial Revolution, people should, you know, when you partner or when you trade, there's more economic value created than not trading. So the actual idea of having a tribe is counterproductive in a positive sum world. Mm. And so to me, it's kind of the opposite. Okay, well, we need to be updating our ideas. So instead of trying to figure it out and then find people to agree with you, this is sort of the quote which I got from James. I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. Abraham Lincoln. That concept was totally out, not even at all in something that I had considered at all until, I don't know, five, ten years ago. Mm. Mm. So this is like um, a, one of my favorite quotes as well. And I think it's really central to um, you know what we're talking about here, not just in terms of the world of facts and ideas, but um, you know the world that we're operating in, to use Tim Urban's example of the power game versus the value game Hmm. so like the the question is why do we like so it's a it's a powerful quote because it changes our way of thinking Hmm. like i'm sure uh, like before i heard this my default thinking was if i don't like someone i will just stay the the heck away from them and avoid contact with them as much as possible Hmm. but so, so so after now understanding it well looking at through this lens I, I, you know, it, it's important. Like, it's good to ask why do we, by nature, move away from those that we do not like, right? So it seems absurd even just to ask this question, but I feel it's one that's worth exploring. Um, so if you think about it in the, uh, you know, survival or sorry, power versus uh, value games rule, then if it's a power game, sure, uh, survival mentality could suggest that you stand to benefit from either otherizing, demolishing, or even attacking that the huge that the people that you don't like. Mm. But what if it's the value game? What if we're all conscious of the fact that we're not all fighting for survival now, but rather looking for meaning or a higher purpose or ways to up-level ourselves? So what then, when you cross paths with someone you don't like, what do you stand to actually gain by avoiding them? So what I would posit is that not liking someone could actually be a potential for life showing you directly that there is something that you're not completely measuring up to in terms of you know there being something that you could stand to gain or learn from confronting not the person but your own disdain for them and that's irrespective if it's abundantly clear that they're 100 percent an asshat or not mm-hmm. um so so tim the writer of waiver why has the power games versus value games and i sort of you said zero sum power games 
value games positive sum. So the world was for a long time zero sum. The amount of whatever, berries and animals was fixed uh, and so we fought over them. But then we started to farm and we started to have factories and you know industrial revolution. And so instead of working for nature, nature worked for us. So then the amount of output, you know, berries, animals, etc., became dependent on humans. And so this is where it made sense to go from battling each other to working with each other. Um, and so this is a huge mindset that's shift, sorry, that's only really been around for, I suppose, the first country to sort of really industrialize was the UK in the 18, mid-1800s type thing. Some, some parts of the world haven't done it still. And so the stories and our biology are not set up for that. And so what you can sort of see is that before this, 90% of humans were farmers, uh, if you're in an agrarian society or everyone was a hunter-gatherer. And now there are sort of half a million jobs in a modern, you know, first world country and 1.3% of people are farmers. So all these jobs have gone away. So you, you kind of have a very specific job. Like you don't, most like, I don't know, the food you have and the clothing and whatever else it is. You don't make the food, you don't make the clothing, you live in a house, you don't make the house, you don't make the power, etc. So you, you basically have to do a partnership with all these other people that do that. And so you can sort of see, okay, well, I am able to do not farming because others have specialized and been able to help me. So we become more and more specialized. Mm. And so as such, partnering together makes sense. But if that's the case, then finding out why someone doesn't have a different you know, view to you and listening to them, getting something better is the right thing to do. Whereas in the past, where partnering didn't make sense, it was, they don't agree with me, they go F themselves, get out your pitchforks, let's go burn their house down. <laughs> well, I, I think um, farming is a great example because it's purely um, a utilistic viewpoint in terms of what someone else has to offer you. You know, like you could uh, not like old McDonald to the end of your life, but if he can provide with you the sustenance that you need to survive, you will want to partner with him. Um, so it's, it's only when we make the transition to the more personable or emotional realm where I think this becomes um, more clouded or at least um, to use, uh, I guess, a more basic definition where the ego is still able to kind of run the show. So what I mean by that is even today where I can't remember the last time I had to worry about whether or not I could eat to survive. I still have things that will trigger my more primordial or baser instincts or my ego. And so without thinking that there's an opportunity here, if someone you know, does vex me, without thinking that there's an opportunity for me to be able to level myself up, I immediately try to isolate myself from that person. And so what I'm challenged with is to think, well, well hold on, like, there's something here that I'm missing. Right. It, it, even if it's that this person, you know, is a, a complete misogynist or a sexist or a racist, I'm not suggesting that to, um, the best thing is to engage with this person to change their mind. But what I am suggesting is if I can understand more about what led to them becoming that person, then I can understand something more about the world that I don't understand already. Totally. Um, there's a saying, if you want to convince someone, appeal to emotion, not ration. <laughs> and that's kind of like basically saying appeal to the lower mind, appeal to tribalness. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think listen to someone who has a different point of view to you at school, debating, will prove them wrong. You know, at school, prove them wrong, get the marks. Whereas yep. now it's like, listen to them, understand more, update your view on an idea. And so to me, there are people that try to close your mind and there are people that try to open your mind. Someone trying to close your mind is trying to not get you to listen to other people. They're trying to have you burrow into your view. And so I think for ideas, what's the best thing to do with you know, capital punishment? What's the best thing to do with abortion? What's the best thing to do with health? What's the best thing to do with raising children, etc.? We've just been constantly updating and evolving and I think we hopefully will continue to do so indefinitely. Mm. And so one of the ways to do that is not to just, well, whatever I do is 100% right and cannot be improved upon. Um, it is to try to listen to other people. And so this is one of the sort of definitions that I like of a, of a leader. A leader, by definition, is trying to get people to do to lead them away from where they kind of already are, i.e. To, to change. Preaching to the choir, you know, you're not leading anybody anywhere. You're sort of, so one is opening people's minds and the other is keeping people in the same place where they are and keeping their minds closed. Mm. Mm. 
So to summarize the previous discussion we had, uh, people are not entirely rational. <laughs> um, and I really, uh, I really appreciate this concept that, um, you know, there, uh, well, this, this oversimplification over that there are two kinds of people in the world, those who try to open your mind and those who try to close them. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, with, with people who are trying to close your mind, you know, they're, they're not trying to make you dumber. Or, <laughs> um, but there, it, it could be this sense that they're, to, to want to close someone else's mind suggests to me that they want to control that person. And to want to control that person suggests to me that they're operating under the rudimentary uh, you know, baseline of I need confirmation of my own way of thinking to feel like I can move through the world. Right? So instead of actually trying to explore your way of thinking, you're trying to compel others to think the way you do because then that makes you feel like that you're a smarter person is my reading of it. So I, I totally agree that a good leader is someone will, who will help others level themselves up in a way that they could not do so on their own. Um, and I don't think it's by doing so when people are already looking for someone to lead them down a path that they want um, you know, to, to be able to follow already. Yeah. Um, if we are in the value games, um, not the power games, i.e. where partnering is valuable for both sides of the partnership, then wanting to listen to people and wanting to have people open your mind, be open to changing your view on what ideas are, um, is, is better than having people try to get the single biggest following, i.e. the biggest tribe, which was what was sort of optimal in the power games. So the optimal strategy in the power games is closed-mindedness, blind faith. The bigger the tribe, the better you get rid of other tribes. But the optimal strategy in value games is open-mindedness, tolerance, you know, etc. And I think that's really, really, really interesting. Mm. Um, so for me, okay, well, the more we can partner together, the better we can, you know, work with each other. Now there need to be some sort of guardrails, like you can't go and kill people, as an example. But then I don't that mind idea. if someone has a different view on the best way to live their life or, you know, that they have a different abortion view, um, you know, than me. Um, that's okay. Um, but for most, you know, areas, I think trying to have an open mind is, is crucial and is the optimal thing. Hmm. So I am open-minded until I'm not. And I, I say that because I, it's, it's, a, it's a helpful reminder that... Um, you and I, Duncan, we can sit here and we can intellectualize and discuss um, the merits of having an open mind. But for myself, in real life, moving through the day, for example, it's very easy for me to forget that. Uh, and a really good example of that is, uh, so, you know, I, I like to try and meditate once a day. And my current exercise is to just be mindful every time you stand up and sit down. Now that sounds like a very easy exercise to do. It sounds a, a, a overwhelmingly easy, except when you actually try and do it. <laughs> I, like for the first day, could not actually bring myself to be mindful every time I sat up and uh, stood up and sat down. It was harrowing to realize that when given the instruction first thing in the morning, it did not happen once for the rest of the day. And so, Bringing this back to open versus closed-mindedness. When someone says, you know, we need to be more open-minded, we need to think about things and leveling ourselves up, like my mind immediately goes to, yeah, of course, that makes complete sense. Why wouldn't you? But it's very different when you're operating in real life throughout the day and it can be very easy for uh, the fire mind to come in and take over without you even realizing. Mm. Totally. Um, so I think... I'm open-minded in some areas and closed-minded in others. Um, I used to be probably closed-minded in almost all. <laughs> um, and I, I like to think that I'm trying to be find out where I'm closed-minded and then systematically open my mind. Mm. Um, and I don't know where that is. They say that people in a cult normally don't know they're in a cult. Um, <laughs> and so it's interesting, like, where I'm closed-minded, I probably don't know that I'm closed-minded. An example is if I like someone like James and he's got a different point of view for an idea to me, I'm like, oh, cool, let's listen. And if I don't like someone and they've got a different point of view, it might be the same thing James is saying. I mean, I'm like, idiot, not listening, you know. Um, and so there's this double whammy. It's kind of like 
the people that you don't like the most, quote unquote, and the ones that you, it's easiest to dislike someone if you don't know them. The more you know someone, the more you realize that everyone's got some good and some bad. But mm. like, I don't know, like, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. I think there are some redeemable things, but it's like a single digit percentage of him. Like the vast majority of him is, <laughs> is an irredeemable piece of poo. And so this is like the next level. It's like, okay, well, where do I open my mind? Find it. But then try to not have yourself. There's this like, why do you like or dislike people? <laughs> this is something yeah. I'm, I'm like, the vast majority of people are good people. Like, they're the hero of their own story. And if they did something that you don't like, that's not because they're trying to annoy you or because they're evil. They just got a different point of view or, or they don't understand that there's a second order outcome to their actions, which might be hurting you. And so I try to not dislike anyone. Um, in the past, I used to have people I disliked, but now I'm just trying to like, try not to dislike anyone. That's a really, really interesting ex- exercise. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I really like that point there, Duncan, that you... Um you know, you mentioned in there uh, just in passing, uh, you know, everyone is the hero of their own story. And I think that's a really, really another powerful tool to help understand how, you know, we are all moving through life thinking that, you know, that we're good people. I I agree. Most people, I I, I would challenge your uh, version of whether or not it's true that most people are good people because I don't know. But I would agree that most people think they are good people. Mm. I, I, I don't think that um, there are that many who wake up in the morning thinking like, "Aha, I'm a diabolical evil genius who's going to wreak havoc on the world." Um, you know, apart from maybe Professor Chaos and Pinky in the brain. Um, oh, mate, look, I actually think Pinky, oh, sorry, the brain could probably think that he's a force for good and that for him <laughs> to take over the world could be, you know, a gift to mankind to have someone like him as his ruler. So you never know; he might actually think he's a. Um, Enlightened despot, or whatever you want to call it. Well, that's a really <laughs> interesting point. Like, I, I think Putin, who I think most people would say is perhaps not a good person, I think he sees himself as a good person doing the right thing for the Russians and the right thing for the world. Yeah. And yeah, I, he's like, I, I don't, I think most people would be like, put him in like, he's not a good human camp. But I'm pretty sure he's like, I'm a good human, I'm doing a good thing. Unequivocally agree. Like, I, I would say Xi Jinping, same person, same thing. Yeah. Like, you know, what we see him doing from the outside in looks scary. Mm. But I would posit that he himself believes that he is a force for good in the world and what he's doing is in the best interest of his people. Mm. Uh, and so like, this goes back to you know, you know, talking about what you said, Duncan, was like, I'm open-minded someplace and I'm closed-minded other, other places. And how do you discover where you're closed-minded? Well, I would say, well, a blind spot is a blind spot because you can't see it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, another really great quote, and this came from the movie actually, which was um, A Beautiful Mind, which was the so Robert C. Nash, um, Nobel Laureate, said, why can't I fix myself? You know, why can't I just um, you know, work on this on my own and then be able to resolve it? And the person said, you know, a broken mind cannot mend itself because this mind is broken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems obvious when you say that, but then you think about that. And so going back to you know people that you not necessarily dislike, but disagree with, there could be an opportunity for you to find a blind spot there because there is something in that exchange that does not align completely with your worldview. And it could be the way in which you the world or it could be a values uh, or a belief that you have in the world yeah I think this is the kind of key point we're all open-minded and closed-minded in some areas and probably the areas you're closed-minded in you're not even aware of it the one of the best ways to find a place where you're closed-minded is where someone you disagree with and you don't want to listen to them so it's like oh closed-minded area it's like where you're like no not listening and so then that's the whole point of the Lincoln quote. I don't like that person. I must get to know them better. I don't agree with them and I don't like them. That's probably a closed-minded area. And so for me, I've changed my mind on almost everything. Sometimes it's only a small change, like a 10% change. Sometimes it's like a seismic, humongous change. And so to me, this is a really, really good strategy to life. Try to systematically find the areas that you're closed-minded. Try to systematically open your mind in those areas. How do you do that? Well, anywhere where you have a, a point of view that's different, probably disagreement. And anywhere where there's someone you don't like, well, probably down there is something that you disagree with them on. So you need to kind of dig into it and find where it is. Mm. So a disagreement 
or someone you don't like is an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to hopefully try to open your mind. Mm. Mm. I, I, I really like how you use open your mind, not necessarily change your mind, even though one isn't better than the other. Because I don't necessarily think you should always have to um, you know, go into an, a, an exchange or an opportunity to change your mind, but you can open it. You can you can bring in new information that makes you go, oh, I had I did not have a fully formed appreciation for that fact, but having now spoken to this person and hearing their story, I can now empathise with it much more. So, like this open mind versus changing mind, I think is also a really good distinction. I love that open mind versus changing mind. <laughs> um, you know, you're trying to just understand others. Um, you're trying to see why they can do this. I think trying to articulate their point of view is is extraordinarily important, trying to understand where they came from. So to me, it used to be trying to figure out what I think and then trying to defend that. Now it's the exact opposite, trying to mm. open my mind, understand why others view different things, and also trying to, where appropriate, change my mind. Mm. So I think, you know, Ray Dalio, changing your mind is a superpower. Um doesn't mean you don't you change it willy-nilly and you, you change it every single time you hear something new. But I think I've had to kind of lean out of the default of don't change your mind. So I kind yes. of think that my default is, oh, no, 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 we're not listening, whatever else it is, to like try to change it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this happens on multiple levels. Even when you're trying to open your mind, you can have someone help you understand where you're still being closed-minded. Uh, just to give you an example, um, you know, Duncan, you and I, when we talk offline, hmm. um, I, I talk about how I try to approach, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, creating a new project team with the mindset of, you know, sharing that I love conflict of ideas because I believe having an idea, um, you know, battle themselves out, the best one will um, emerge. And your point on that was, well, you know, James, by positing something as a conflict, are you really getting the desired outcome? Because that could be construed as something that's very um, uh, not aggressive, but um, zero sum. Not zero sum. sum. You know, in yeah, in conflict, there's a winner and a loser. Yeah. In, in an ideal interaction, both parties win. Exactly. So that would that up leveled opened my 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 way of thinking that mm. even when I'm trying to approach being open minded, there are ways in which that I'm not aware of how that actually could be hindering my own um, ability to learn. Yeah. Um, this is sort of one thing I think, you know, let's just say, I don't know, single digit teenager Duncan, but like, since I've been sort of, I don't know, working 25 plus, I love the concept that you're, everyone's here of their own story and nobody actually ever tried to annoy you about something. So have you ever been annoyed? Like, I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. In and my I'm adult pretty life? Sure <laughs> that that person wasn't actually trying to annoy you. Like my little mm. brother, when I was 10 years old, he was in my opinion, specifically trying to wind me up. But <laughs> but at work, I'm, I don't know about you, but I get annoyed from time to time. I love trying to think, well, that person is not trying to annoy me. <laughs> and I'm sure I've annoyed other people, but I haven't tried to annoy them. And so to me, this is an extraordinarily interesting way of looking at it. Nobody has mm. been sent there to annoy you. Mm. But that's mm. what you feel sometimes. And you're like, this, you know, so-and-so, some, some not very nice words needs to go and some other nice words to themselves, you know. Um, <laughs> and so if you've never tried to annoy anyone at work, then it's very conceivable that no one else has tried to annoy you. Like, mm. whoa. Okay. Mm. So getting annoyed is, is actually the wrong way of looking at it. It's close-minding yourself. It's, you know, not wanting to change. You know, it's like, you know, I, we're here to help each other. We're not here to annoy each other. It's a ridiculous mm. concept. Yeah. All right. So come on. Honestly, who here has not ever thought when they had a slow car in front of them or slow walk on the side fork <laughs> to themselves, like, why, God, did you send this person just to annoy me? Like, <laughs> um, so it's very easy to get caught up in this. And I, I can't remember what the, the, um, the bias is or the, the, the fallacy, but I think it's agent-observer bias where you, know, you always believe that your actions are based on um, you know, true intention, but the mis the misguided actions of others were based on ill thought intentions when really they're just operating on their own sense of true intentions. And it goes back to your point, Duncan, like, you know, people are not, well, at least 
well-formed adults uh, are not trying to actively annoy you. They're operating in a way in which they understand to be the best way for them to move through. Uh, and so this is another um, quote that, I, that really helps for me, that people are doing the best they can with what they've got. Mm. And if, if we can you know, use that as a, a starting point, then instead of seeing this other person as, for example, a waste of my time, because what they're saying or their lack of action or their, um, you know, their particular opinion annoys me, I can see it from their perspective, what they're doing is expressing a view that's true to them based on their level of understanding. Mm. And that could be something there that I don't fully comprehend myself. Yeah, so I think this is something that I've tried to incorporate into, at the very least, you know, parts of my life. So as an example, I think politics is really interesting because the way that people articulate things is extraordinarily useful to learn for you to articulate yourself. Mm. So, for instance, I follow US politics a little bit, but I'll have a podcast from the left, a podcast from the right, and then hopefully sort of podcast from the center. And so, for instance, the John Bolton stuff will come out and I'll be like, well, what is uh, you know, Ben Shapiro saying? What is Pod Save America saying? And then what is someone in the middle who, you know, I don't know, hacks on tap or 538 saying, and then you kind of try to see between the lines. And so in the past, I wasn't systematically trying to listen to other people. Mm. And now I really try to. And so, yeah, there's the quote from Charlie Munger. If you don't understand the other side's argument better than them, you have no right to hold an opinion. And I wasn't even trying to listen to the other side, let alone understand it in the past. Mm. Mm. So now it's like, step one, listen. Whereas before it was like, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. <laughs> um, step two, try to understand. Um, and for me, there's always, almost always two sides to a story. Um, doesn't mean that both sides are fair and reasonable. Mm. But if you haven't even heard the other side, how do you know that your side's fair and reasonable? Mm, exactly. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, so, um, you know, Charlie Munger, being a superhuman that he is, might be able to argue the other side better than they can. Um, but I, I feel like that's a bit of a, uh, a stretch for me. But uh, my goal is to at least be able to get to a point where if I were to explain back the other person's opinion or, um, or statement or whatever it is back to them and they agree with it, then that's a good position for me to go from. Mm. Uh, and I thought, and um, you know, I think, you know, Duncan, you may remember when Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson had that very um, big talk in uh, Vancouver, uh, like over a series of about four nights. On the second night, each speaker would have to start off by repeating back the points made by the other person. Mm. And it's this incredibly powerful tool, something that's very difficult to do. But I think, you know, that's true. If you do not have enough of a grasp of the other person's point of view to be able to repeat it back to them, then I don't think you're actually making enough inroad to understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really important that you try to articulate the other side um, and then you actually are trying to balance both sides in your head. Um, so to me, one of the things that's been really interesting, so um, your representative owes you their recommendation. They betray you if they sacrifice this to your opinion. Um, so that's in your, you know, elected representative, i.e., you know, in po in politics. Um, to me, learning how to say something that's different to what someone's point of view is, in a way where they want to listen to you and conceivably change their mind, is extraordinarily difficult. And so, to me, telling someone why you have the same opinion as them is not difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Telling someone why you have a different opinion and why they should listen to you and conceivably change their opinion is extraordinarily difficult. And so that's, I think, the, the name of the game. We're mm. hopefully all here to help each other learn and, and update our views, to upgrade. Yeah. But we don't do that if we aren't with the right choice of words and the right tone mm. um, from both sides. Yeah. So, so this is where, um, in this particular episode of The Story of Us, Tim Urban talks about where there is this Overton window. And so to really botch, uh, butcher the definition of the Overton window, it's basically the realm in which mainstream opinion sits. Um, and I know there's more to it than that. It's the level of your communication that you can go to to fit within that window. 
But what he talks about is that when there is a disconnect between what's inside the Overton window and what the majority of people are actually thinking, there's an opportunity for leadership. And so that kind of points to what you're saying, Duncan, I think, in that when you are trying to talk to someone on a differing opinion, that's very hard. Because what you're doing is that you're going outside the realm of what this person considers to be acceptable. And you're trying to get them to understand or at least see things in a different way. And, you know, a really good example I can posit is people like Bernie Sanders, who since the early 70s has been going on and on and on about, you know, you know, healthcare being a universal right. Very much niche in the US back then. And now it's only just finally moving into the mainstream. Yeah, so... I think the Overton window is basically what is mainstream and acceptable. And so, for instance, I don't know, same-sex marriage 30 years ago wasn't in the mainstream and now is. And mm. so what is a skill is to be able to talk to people who hold a different point of view because everyone can be along that sort of continuum in a way in which they want to listen to you and conceivably want to change their mind. But you also yep. need to realize that you're the one who could conceivably want to change your mind. And so it's it's just... I think, you know, tribalism, stories, school, there's a right and a wrong built into us. And so you need to, one, just open your mind, listen, 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 understand, 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 articulate, 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 and then want to conceivably change your mind. Now, one of the ways that I've sort of shifted the underlying structure of this is I now believe that I will change my mind on all ideas. Whereas Mm. in the past, I used to kind of be like, begrudgingly, I will change my mind, um, you know, on something but then I wasn't trying to find the next thing to change my mind on. So now it's kind of the upside down. I used to be in the past not looking to change my mind. Now I'm looking to change my mind. So that's mm. one way I've tried to address this. Yeah. So the mental model I use is every, uh, there hasn't been a year gone by where I haven't looked back at myself a year ago, a year prior, and thought, oh, I haven't changed at all um, in, my, <laughs> in my beliefs or in, my, in what I think or in mm. how I think. Mm. So I try to ex- uh, extrapolate that forward and think to myself, the person a year from now is going to look at me as I am today and think, wow, have I, how much have I changed? And with that presumption, I am looking for where those changes come from or where they're going to come from, I should say. And that helps me keep my mind open, seeking out those opportunities for me to be able to, you know, take on new information to be able to evolve my thinking. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, think about if you change your mind on things, think about in hindsight, was this a fun experience or were you fighting yourself into it? Um, and then think about trying to help yourself change your mind. And effectively, if, if were there, like, there are some idiots or evil people, right? But this <laughs> is like, let's just put them as a single digit percentage of people. So therefore, the vast majority of people, and especially people that you've actually met in person, they're not trying to annoy you, you know? So if they're not, okay, well, you're not trying to annoy them either. Um, And so trying as hard as possible to give yourself enough rope to change your mind gracefully and to give somebody else enough rope to change their mind gracefully is super hard, Um, but is kind of the only way. I I do think I will change my mind on all ideas, um, and as such... Please allow yourself the space to do that and allow others the same space that you're trying to allow yourself. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's, it, it goes back for me anyway to um, the hierarchy of needs. Like, where, like, first, I think, is identifying where you are operating on that hierarchy, like maybe in a given moment or over a long period of time. Uh, because if you're in between the, the social and the transcendental um, you know, parts of the hierarchy, then I would then suggest it's in your best interest to find people who think def- differently than the way you do, mm. because that's only where you're going to be able to stretch your thinking, mm. right? If 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 uh, you know if the the coronavirus takes off and everybody has to wear face masks and we all revert back to our survival instincts, then you know maybe we should prioritize making sure we got healthy, uh, you know, clean food and water and all that kind of stuff. But until mm. <laughs> such a time comes my take is the best thing we can do for ourselves is to move into these uh, areas where we feel uncomfortable 
like expose ourselves to them, be open to the possibilities of there being something we have to learn from it. Yeah. Um, I think like Karl Popper and falsification. Um, so I think if you've got a view on something, it's often best to try to understand the kind of opposite. So as an example, currently, I don't believe that I want to have my own children. Uh, and so James does, you know, and has his own children. Um, and so it's fine to speak to people and understand why they've had this and why they think it's interesting. You know, there is no one answer here. Like one end, you 100% must do it. The other end, you 100% shouldn't do it. I don't feel that anyone needs to have whatever my view is. Um, if they want to have children, awesome. If they don't, you know, also awesome. And so it's super fun to sit down and speak, not just to speak to, for instance, people that don't want to have children. Um, and so it's it's really, really, really interesting. And so as an example, I speak to my mother um, and talk to her about, you know, why she's had children. And, you know, one of her first ones was like, well, aren't you glad that you're born? <laughs> um, and, you know, fair point, mum. Uh, so to me, it's just so much fun. Um, and basically falsifying. So trying to speak to people that hold the exact opposite views of you, trying to understand why and trying to see what can be learned from that is mm. a really, really good way forward. So mm. not sitting in the echo chamber and only listening to people that agree with you, specifically trying to find people that have different points of view to you and trying to listen to them to understand it. Um, trying to open your mind um, to see, like, I, w I basically want to try to change my mind on children. So I spent a week uh, trying to change my mind, like trying as hard as possible to find all the reasons to have kids. And at the end of it, I was still like, well, there are some good reasons. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's a, everything's bad. But I was like, on balance, <laughs> um, from my perspective, I was like, I don't think it's something I want to do. And mm. I'm like a hard 100% no in the next two years. And then like an 80, 90% no thereafter. But, you know, just like I think I'll change my mind on everything else, I think I'll change my mind on this. Mm. Um, so is it, maybe I don't ever get to the, the threshold of a yes, but it doesn't mean that I'll still be a hard 100% no. I might be like a, well, 70% no type thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I got to have um, props to your mum there, the, the, skill, <laughs> the skillful orator, um, yeah. with, with the with the sunk premise, which is that you can't really have a conversation with your unborn child. I'm sorry, you, I regret it. Having children was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mum. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, you know, ha having this, you know, I guess realization that not only does it um, you know, not curtail you to have to find other people to think the way you do, but that it's actually, it's actually more, not just beneficial, but can be enjoyable to talk to people who think differently to the way you do, because then you can actually have a more robust foundation in the way that you're thinking, right? Because if I thought to myself, you know, um, Trying to trying to think of something off the top of my head, but like oh, I would never want to have a mobile phone. I think a mobile phone is a total waste of time. It's ridiculous. Why would I ever want to have a mobile phone? If I don't talk to people who have mobile phones to understand all the merits of having a mobile phone, then I can't base myself my belief on anything with you know strong foundation because it's really just a um, you know something to me, something that is an in inherently biased opinion. But if I talk to people who have mobile phones and understand all the merits and all of the demerits that come with it, and I can still hold my position, then I'll feel like I have a much stronger understanding of it. Yeah. So for me, it's kind of like changing the underlying premise. I know I sort of see this as pretending like I used to want to justify my position versus want to find a reason to change my position. And so yeah. that whole thing, I used to want to figure out what I thought and what I believed. Now I want to be a work in progress and to always be a work in progress. I used to find speaking to people who had a different point of view often draining. Um, now it's really enjoyable um, and enlightening done right. It can still be draining, but before it was never, oh, that sounds like fun. It's like, no, <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> sound like fun. <laughs> you know, I, I want to kind of systematically open my mind. I, I, I want to f figure out that everything works somewhere, nothing works everywhere. And so shifting like it's like literally the exact opposite i used to be trying to figure it out trying to know what was right or wrong now i'm trying to know that i'll never figure it out and that there is no such thing as right or wrong and that it's very valid for people to have many different views and mm. that just because you have a different view to them doesn't make your view right and just because you'll update your future doesn't mean that your view now is right and your updated view in the future is right mm. there are many possible right quote-unquote things or basically there's a spectrum of things that are acceptable. So, for instance, I don't know, with abortion, like I don't think you should better kill your child when they're 10 years old. Um, having said, <laughs> we, you know, support, you know, 10-year-old child. Um, but for me, um, you know, 
you know, I think it's fine that some people think that abortion isn't right. Um, you know, I do think, I don't know, I have a strong view on this, actually. I think probably up until they're born, I, I haven't really thought this one through. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, I think I don't know, all else equal, women should have the right to choose. Um, and I'm kind of, you know, comfortable with a sort yeah. of broadish spectrum in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to quote Bill Maher, like, he's pro-life, but he's also sympathetic to the other side. Uh, and I think that's a really healthy way of looking at it. Like you can have your opinion, but if you can be sympathetic to the other side and understand why they hold their views, then I think that's a good starting point. Mm. Um, I feel like I should caveat all of this though and understand that having an open mind doesn't uh, automatically uh, lead you to having uh, open and constructive conversations with people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because things can get emotionally heated very quickly you just have to look at the political spectrum in the United States right now. Um, I think a recent survey came out where um, it is now more of a, um, you are far less likely to have a family accept someone from another political party than from like another race or another, um, you know, kind of, you know, different kind of demographic. Like in, in the past, um, there was a lot of, um, you know, racial discrimination and families would not accept a partner from another race, but now it's from another political party. Mm. And a lot of this is from this emotional charge that we have, um, that we can, uh, you know, revert back to the fire mind and this sense that, you know, we, we have to find confirmation in the way we think otherwise we're annihilated. Yeah, um, the fine mind is the primitive mind or the lower mind, uh, just in case people are wondering. Uh, so one of the things the internet's done is be able to give everyone access to all information. <laughs> it's also meant that anyone can publish. There used to be bottlenecks between distribution. You know, there's only three TV channels and if you miss it, it's gone. There's, you know, there's a certain number of newspapers and you can only fit a certain amount of stuff in print. And so what this has meant is that there's access to far more, but also... What this means is that you can have some things which aren't at all by you know or trying to represent a sort of balanced view um and so again that sort of quote i think it's a jefferson quote or benjamin franklin if you want to um, uh, convince someone appeal to rat um, sorry emotion not reason and so the easiest way to get clicks and other stuff is to appeal to the seven deadly sins you know uh, envy greed etc you know emotions basically and so in the past, um, this, you know, wasn't able to happen because they were looking for the broadest possible readership for a newspaper or watching TV. So they had to sort of have some sort of middle ground and, and you know, try to uh, see something. Whereas now, when it's just you just want 10% of people that are deeply engaged because um, the costs to distribute are, are close to zero, then the actual optimal strategy is to appeal to emotion. <laughs> um, and so what this has meant is that people used to, I don't know, watch the TV news and so there'd be something and then they'd see the same version of the story and they'd have the view on it. Now they don't see the same version and they only see people talking about it from a sort of one perspective. Mm. It's not saying their perspective is right or wrong. It's just it's a lot harder to understand the other perspective if you never hear it. Um, and so people have become more polarised because the internet has allowed more polarised media and mm. because the optimal strategy for viewership or eyeballs, you know, ears, etc., is polarization. Mm, mm. Um, this, this harkens back to, um, I think it was Ben Thompson from Stratechery uh, and his writings on the internet and the, the Pollyannish assumption of the internet, uh, which was uh, people would posit that the internet, because of its ability to liberate people and provide universal access to information, was a force for good. Uh, and so what Ben Thompson laid out was that, well, no, the internet is not a force for good. It's just a tool. Uh, and to break it down to the most basic component, it's a tool that removes friction. And so instead of it being this force for good that um, provides access to information for everyone, it's just something that magnifies everything that already exists in the world, which is there are a lot of good people, there are but there are also some very, very, very bad people. And they now have a platform to go beyond their small town where you know, people within their immediate vicinity would not think their way, and so um, you know, they would not have a platform to speak on. But now that they can post it on the internet, they can find all of the like-minded people and be able to start to cr create you know, this, this 
this bubble around how these people think. Uh, and so to your point, Duncan, like, you, you know, we can create this flywheel effect of further um, segregating people's belief because you go into these bubbles and, um, you know, like you said, the way the internet gets attention is by appealing to our baser instincts, which is our emotion. Um, but there's also been uh, people who pointed out that, you know, a lot of the algorithms on things like YouTube are programmed to give you what you want. Not say, okay, so you uh, want to understand something about this political point of view. Here's a broad range of examples. No, it's just you want this particular view. Here's more of that. Yeah, um, so I think the Pollyanne assumption was just that people thought it would be broadly a, a good outcome, but it allows lower friction and this means more of anything. Um, and some people have been using that to what people would say is human downgrading, not human upgrading. Mm. Um, there's always a sort of scourge on humanity, uh, you know, whether it's opium in China or cigarettes or whatever else it is. And we used to went from a deficit of information, you know, you had to have Encyclopedia Britannica or you, you had to find out if it on the six o'clock news, etc., to a, a surplus. And we went from a deficit of food, you know, people starving to a surplus of food, people dying from eating too much. A deficit of information, not people getting educated to a surplus of information. Okay, people are feeding themselves junk food information. And then you get anxiety, depression, Trump, Brexit, etc. And so humans don't really know how to deal with unlimited information and what is good or not good information for them. They just sort of see what is delicious. You know, that doesn't mean it's nutritious. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so to me, yeah, we're going through this. We'll, I believe, get through it. I hope there's not some big geopolitical schism in the short term. All right, we're sort of coming to the end of the hour. Um, and so we can sort of do summary time. Um, I can start. I think it's sort of quite clear there's a spectrum of ideas. Um, and we start at the beginning. There's facts. Um, today's Thursday, idea how to live Thursday well. For the ideas, I used to sort of think there was a right and a wrong. Now, I don't think there is. I used to try to figure out what I believed. Now, I'm trying to figure out how to open my mind and to change my opinion. I'm trying to engage with other people and see if I can understand them, but also understand that I might need to understand from them. So it's a two-way street. Um, and I don't know why I, I was, in my opinion, you know, for, say for the first 25 years of my life, leaning the exact, what I now consider to be wrong direction, i.e. trying to be closed-minded and, <laughs> you know, trying to justify my opinion as opposed to be open-minded. Um, and I think part of that is due to the tribalism that was, you know, optimal in a value game, sorry, um, in a power games, zero-sum worlds, but in a value games, positive-sum world, it's not optimal. Um, and I try to lean what I consider to be the right direction. Mm. Very good, Duncan. Um, so for me, having this realization that there are facts and then there are ideas and the two are very distinct of each other is a profound realization. <laughs> um, that then leads me to having the, um, you know, the desire to want to be able to recognize and treat ideas as very, very um, unique from something that could be considered as right or wrong. There may be a world in which you can judge an idea on whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, but I would say only when you have explored the full spectrum and understood clearly where it holds up in the world and where it doesn't. Um, this is, you know, a really useful tool. Um, living in a world like today where for those of us who are lucky enough to be able to not have to worry about our survival, but instead looking for ways that we can to learn to grow and transcend, exploring ideas that are different from our own, and this can usually this can typically be felt by those that we feel uh, annoying or, or that vex us or that we just simply do not like. Mm -hmm. And if we can, instead of uh, allowing those particular moments um, to control us, and by which I mean we just we we decide to simply avoid or um, demolish that person. If we allow that instead to become a flag for us to go, hey, there's something here that I'm missing, or there's something here I'm potentially missing. Um, what do I have to gain from trying to understand this person or this belief or this idea a lot better? Uh, and I think. By unraveling those, we can see where we're still a bit closed-minded. We can see where we still have blind spots in our lives, uh, and it could, and it could, uh, you know, in my view, help us understand better uh, in terms of, you know, when we're trying to explore, you know, 
what our belief systems are today um, with the with the view that in a year's time it's going to be completely different uh, this is how I think we can help ourselves move through and get better cool all right James speak to you soon all right so see you later